48 hour art check best of podcast we go live on youtube monday wednesday and friday at 9 p.m california time and we rip the best uh conversations from those videos and put them here in this podcast and that's what you're listening to now you can always go to coreykerr.com slash 48 hr to check out more and today we have myself Corey kerr josh uh, Joshua Kemble and Scott Circland, and we are going to discuss mindset and how mindset affects art. So what I was thinking is I am reading Carol Dweck's book called Mindset, and I think there's a couple different ways to approach this, but she was looking at students and how students um, learn, and she did this big study uh, with a bunch of graduate students, and they started tracking um, the types of things that students thought about their abilities. Um, and they noticed that really successful students um, had a group of thoughts that were all very similar. And really unsuccessful students had a group of thoughts that were all very similar. They named those mindsets. Um, and the one mindset is considered to be a growth mindset. And the other mindset is considered to be a fixed mindset. And the main difference is the internal belief uh, of attributes and characteristics being either fixed or changeable. And so somebody with a fixed mindset believes that there are people that are creative and there are people that are not creative. They believe that there are people that are musical and there are people that are not musical. There are people that are intelligent and there are other people that are not intelligent. Um, Somebody with a growth mindset believes that a snapshot in time of somebody's ability is not indicative of their possibility. And so if you were to take the SAT or the ACT or an IQ test, that would be a snapshot of that person's life, but not an indication of their entire IQ or their entire intelligence. And so ultimately what that what that means is that failures are obstacles, not a fixed position. Uh, it, a failure is an action, not an attribute. Um, a success is something that has happened in the progress of being able to become something, but it's not something that defines you. And this I found really interesting because I think that imposter syndrome happens in my mind when I'm more in a fixed mindset because that's, I'm worried about being discovered as an imposter. I'm worried about failing. I'm worried about being found out. I'm worried about the fact that I'm kind of faking it until I make it. Whereas in a growth mindset, I recognize that my abilities as an artist, my abilities as a speaker, my abilities as a teacher, my abilities as a husband and a father and whatever roles I'm playing are not fixed. They are things that I can control. And I do believe that. Um, But in those times when I don't feel it, I think that's when I slip into kind of an imposter syndrome mindset. And I have proven over the years with students that you can teach people who do not consider themselves to be creative to do and become creative, to do creative things, to create and to be creative. And it's a fascinating concept that when they when this penny drops that you can kind of get this, um, you know, there's that idea that people are born an artist or they're born a musician or they're born a whatever, that talent comes into play more than effort. And if you go with a growth mindset... This, this allows you to become anything that you want. And so anything that you're interested in becoming uh, with enough time and effort that is focused in the right direction, you can increase whatever skills and abilities and knowledge 
that you want. And that's a growth mindset. Whereas a fixed mindset, you either are that thing or you are not that thing forever. I was just curious yeah. on what you guys thought about kind of those two dichotomies. This is really interesting. Um, she's not talking about art or creativity or writing, um, but I think there's a lot of applicable um, things that we could draw from those. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like to me, one thing that comes to mind just um, uh, being an art director and, and dealing with like managing different creatives um, and just managing people in general, if you read any book on kind of management, like one of the most frustrating things a manager will have to deal with and frequently does have to deal with is someone who doesn't own or correct or learn from their errors. And so um, one of the most frustrating things as, as a creative director is, is a fixed mindset in that sense, because a, a person with a growth mindset is going to see like an error or a, a piece of art that they make for a deadline that needs revision as something in flux. It's something in building like they themselves are something um, that's being built, not something that's completed. And uh, it, it's a lot easier to work with a person who is building rather than a person who feels like they're built. Um, and so like for a perfect example is like, the, the kind of receptivity you get from an artist or reception. I don't even think receptivity is a word. It is now we've coined it. Yeah. Receptivity. Hashtag the receptivity of, TM. Yeah. The kind of reception you get from like a student or an employee or even, even a, a, a person above you in, in, in a professional setting where they're open to making error and learning from errors and, uh, correcting and kind of fixing and kind of collaborating and making and building something. That's like, if you give any art director on the planet, that kind of person, like they're going to have an easy time and not just that they're going to have a much more creative, fulfilling time. And it's going to go both ways for, for those people. But if, if you have someone who's like, I'm a creative, I'm a designer, I made it perfect period. Um, that that's like that's like a wall that's really hard to break through, and um, and so so it, just from from my own uh, experience, like teaching and art directing, I can say like the fixed mindset is a real. It, it, it's something I I've, I've become more aware of in myself from observing how stifling and creatively um, blockading it is as a personality trait to have like a fixed mindset. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like when you see the wheels of creativity, this whole collaboration kind of working, or you have like a young student and you see them starting to click and they're getting anatomy and they're starting to push themselves and get a little frustrated. Cause it's like, it's like learning new things and stuff. When that wall comes and just stops the whole thing, it's like a spoke in the tire, <laughs> a spoke in the wheel. Um, it, it really feels like that. It feels like a spoke in the wheel, like you just crashed because it, 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 it's, it's hard to move the immovable. And I think a fixed mindset is exactly that. It's, it's immovable. Um, so then looking at myself, I, I have to catch myself because I fluctuate from a fixed um, to a, 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 what was the other mind? A growth mindset, growth, I guess. Yeah. I fluctuate between the two. 
Um, and I, I often have to catch myself when I'm uh, confronting something with a fixed mindset. Um, excuse me. But like a perfect example of that um, for, for myself would be like when um, like if I if I hear criticism of my art or if I hear criticism of um, of something I'm doing or hear a suggestion that could make it better or hear a criticism of my management. You know, because there's there's usually feedback like when you're when you're managing people like they're going to criticize the way you're doing it. And right. um, the fixed mindset wants to be like, oh, I'm doing the best I can. I, I'm <laughs> I'm the manager, you know, like that, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, whereas like the growth mindset is like is kind of wanting that feedback and wanting to learn from it and wanting to see it as an opportunity to like if I can improve myself like five percent. Um, I've won, you know? Yeah. Uh, so well, and, like, and, and that's a really interesting concept with the fixed and the growth mindset that she brings up in the book is how you take critique because somebody yeah. who, somebody who has a fixed mindset, they believe that they are those attributes that they are immovable. They're a fixed part of their personality, a part of their being. And so when, if I had a fixed mindset and you critiqued my artwork, uh, I would feel like you, it was a personal attack. Whereas somebody yeah. with a growth mindset sees that our skills and our abilities and our traits um, are something that are outside of us and something that we can improve and change. And there's something that we can, we can get better at, but they're not at the core of who I am. Um, yeah. You know, if you could, so if I'm, if I'm feeling and thinking in a growth mindset and you were to come in and say, uh, Hey, here's some things that you could do to improve um, you know, this piece, it would be you and I looking at this piece together other than me that I can do better in the future. There's, there's room for growth. Whereas in a fixed mindset, that's a final declaration. You have, you have attacked my being. There's nothing that I can do about that because I believe deep in my core that I either am something or I'm not something. Um, in the chat, Spencer George has a really interesting comment that brings something up as well. He said, personal experience, I started out as a STEM student for two years before I dove feet first into art. I never considered myself an artist up until that point, and I have a problem with the idea that I had some inherent talent that I discovered. I like to think that I built my skills outside of some initial talent. And so there's kind of this interesting dichotomy or interesting comparison between talent and natural ability, which I do believe that exists, and the ability to work and, and improve uh, that type of thing. And I think there are people that are born with talent in specific areas. There are people that are blessed with, with some degree of ability. Um, but I actually feel like that doesn't get you very far. Um, take somebody who's super talented that doesn't work and they're, they're never going to get better and they're kind of useless. Uh, whereas somebody who has very little talent, but works super hard, they're going to pass that person. Um, you get the combination of that where you get a little bit of talent, a little bit of natural ability, and you couple that with some effort and some work and some direction, and you, you've kind of got a winning combination. What, what do you think, Scott, on, on this whole thing? Uh, fixed versus growth, uh, talent versus work? Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely a firm believer in uh, the growth mindset, but um, but yeah, I mean, I was going to pretty much kind of say what what Spencer uh, talked about because I always get a little frustrated when people when people say, "Oh, you're so talented," because it's 
you know, they, I, and I know they have the best of intentions when they say that, but it's to me, it's like, well, yeah, but I kind of work really hard to get, get where I am. But, but, but like you said, I do agree that, that there is some, there is some inherent ability. And also I think it has a lot to do with your environment. Are you in a place that encourages, you know, creativity and that type of thing that can, I mean, I was lucky enough to be born in a family that where my parents really, you know, really, you know, encouraged me to, to, to pursue my, my creative stuff, you know? Um, so I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, just something about the notion of that, that it's all just talent. So I always, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so towards the, the, um, the growth mindset, but, but maybe that's only with art because I've been in a place like, like we just, we had a block party a little while ago and everyone like broke out their, their guitars and they had like a little drum box and stuff and people were singing and doing all that stuff. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, I have zero musical ability, but yeah. that's probably because I haven't really as much as, you know, when I was a kid, like everyone, I wanted to be a rock star, but you know, I took, I took maybe like one guitar lessons and it was difficult. So I gave up. Um, <laughs> so, but the thing is I didn't, I must not have wanted it enough. If I wanted it more, I think I could have pursued it. But some, for for whatever reason, I don't. And I think that's the case. I think some people, whether it's art or whatever, I think maybe they don't want to do it as much as they think they do. Because yeah. you really do need to put. I mean, it's the thing you got to put in so much time to. And 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 it, it, some of it has to do with art too. For me, I mean, sometimes when I look at like like a really really good like fantasy illustrator, because that's like in an area that I really you know, I, I'm not skilled at it all. I, it's at one point I, a while back I was doing, um, I, I had this promotion that I was doing and I just wanted to show all these different styles that I could do. This is back when I was doing more character design. And so I had, you know, I had all the, you know, the kind of the cutesy stuff. And then just, I showed a bunch of different styles and I wanted to throw in something that was a little more like fantasy. And I am not a painter you know? So, and it just, I look back at it now, it just, Oh, it's, it sticks out so much from everything else because I just, I, it's something that I didn't pursue enough to kind of understand. And, you know, but it's something that I, I admire and everything. And I, I, sometimes I think about it. I think like, well, if I, if I really put in the time, I'm sure I could get to a level like that. But then I ask myself, am I willing to put in that time? Because what I'm kind of doing now kind of works for me. So yeah. that's that's part of it, too. So it's just, a, you know, it's sometimes it's a matter of choices. Like, what do you choose to spend your time on to to kind of build your, you know, your your skills or, or talents or whatever you, you want to call them? So there's there's so definitely there's, a, there's definitely an opportunity cost with yeah. with those things, for sure. And I don't. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I wonder sometimes, um, and I just have one quick comment because I'm interested in what Josh is saying. Um, I wonder sometimes if talent actually exists or because I've heard the theory that talent isn't real, but there is just some people are imbued with an interest in a specific thing that allows them to fight through the initial uh, being incompetent part of learning. And so you, you say that, oh, they're very artistically talented or they're very musically talented. 
I'm not sure that that's true. They might have been given an interest in music enough to fight through the part where they sucked at it. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. What, what were you going to say, Josh? Well, okay, so the one outlier with this that, that I think kind of shows that there is a little bit of an element of talent is like, uh, like so my father, before kind of going into graphic design and like architecture and a bunch of weird other stuff because he was like a prolific guy. Um, he, so he went into a lot of things and worked really hard and got a lot of degrees and like succeeded a lot of stuff. But his initial dream was to be a jet pilot. And uh, he had this moment where he got in a flight simulator and I, they, they basically simulate like uh, I forget the specifics of it, but what they found out from like him doing these tests for it was that like once he reached a certain altitude, his nose would bleed. Um, and they were like, oh, you just can't you can't fly like that. That was it. Because like at the end of the day, like his the physics of his body, like his genetics wouldn't let him fly jet airplanes, you know, like so it's like no matter how hard he works, if you get a nosebleed in a jet going hundreds of miles an hour, <laughs> your your vision's gone and you're gonna die. Like yeah. so so there's like there are a few things um, similarly like you know. Um, like my son, man, you know, I'm going to encourage him to follow his dreams and stuff. But if he's dreaming of being a pro basketball player, I know his genes. Like, I sincerely doubt that's going to happen. Um, and, because and, he, and yet, he's already cursed by his height, you know yeah, what I mean? And yet you do have, you know, Muggsy Bugs and, you know, uh, people who are 5'3 that can dunk, you know. Because there, there's, an, there's an interesting thing in, the, in, in this book, Mindset. She talks about Christopher Reeve. Uh, who played Superman, broke his back, severed his spinal column. And the doctor said, well, you're, you know, that's it. You're never going to, you're never going to be able to do anything again. Cause there's, there's no coming back from this. And he said, I refuse to accept that. He started this, this very experimental electrolysis regimen where he was um, reteaching himself how to move and after years of doing this and working hard at it hours every day, he actually regained some minor movement in his extremities that the doctors said were impossible. And so because For he sure. because he said, I refuse to have a fixed mindset, you know, now that took years and we have a limited lifespan and there definitely are, you know, existentialism calls it facticity. You know, there definitely are facts in our life, uh, you know, that will limit us. But I wonder sometimes if we extend be, extend that truth beyond its usefulness. You know, if I say, well, you know, I was born in, in this neighborhood, so I'm never going to become anything. And then you look at people like Obama, you know, or, you know, whatever. And, and you have you have you have situations where we we use that. So actually, the last the last part of this that I was super interested to talk to you guys about um, is so so there is there is this thing right there's been studies done where there's these two mindsets um i'm interested what do you do with that information how 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 we how might we um as people trying to to be artists and illustrators and writers and animators uh creatives how might we apply this in our life kind of a rubber meets the road uh situation i'll, I'll start while you guys are thinking of that since since i'm kind of springing a question on you one thing that I think is helpful is you pay attention to your self-talk. Your self-talk is the type of the type of thoughts that you 
are saying in your mind about yourself. And anything that comes across as fixed or anything that comes across as an excuse to not work on something that you want to get better at, you need to tag, tag and bag that as a fixed mindset and promote the growth mindset. So whenever you catch yourself saying, well, I can't do that because, or that's just the way I am, uh, you need to recognize huge red flags should go up and alarm silent sirens should go off in your head and say, oh, I'm catching myself in a fixed mindset. Because the other thing that they found in this in this study, this series of studies that they've done, is that the growth mindset, kind of ironically, can be taught. And so it's it's a lot of the way that you think is how you're raised, kind of like Scott was saying. If you're raised in a creative environment, then you're you're more apt to be creative. If you're raised, you know, in an analytical environment, you're you're less apt to be creative. Um, but they found that if you learn uh, certain practices that help you switch to a growth mindset, that you can deprogram your childhood and reprogram your adulthood to be able to teach yourself to think this way. Um, that will allow you to kind of do anything you want with within genetic and physical limitation. So that would that would be that would be so, one is self talk. Yeah. So. Um, let me try to tell a story and I don't know how much I want to go into it. Cause it deals with like my divorce and marriage and stuff. Um, but, um, so when I was going through my divorce, um, I was going, I, I ended up going to a therapist and everything just to sort everything out. And because, um, in my, you know, in my marriage, it was very, it, it's, there was, there, you know, there were certain tasks that each one of us did. Um, like uh, my ex-wife, the, one of her big things was that she kind of took care of like the finances and stuff like that. And it seemed like, and maybe this is just me and my perspective, but it seemed like I did pretty much everything else, all the cleaning, all the, you know, every, uh, you know, and we kind of shared cooking and stuff like that. But anyway, so, so, and anytime I would bring that up, cause there'd be like, you know, it, it was like, I had this, this joke where, you know, the first time I vacuumed was the last time she ever vacuumed. Because once she realized I could do something, then then she didn't need to do it anymore. So, but anyway, but anytime I would bring something like that up, um, she was like, well, you try to pay the bill. So I, for, and this was just kind of conditioning me that this was so difficult to take care of the finances and pay the bills that like, I would never be able to do it. So, you know, so again, I was kind of going to the, with the therapist and everything. And she, the therapist gave me this diagnosis that, that I was, codependent and i just kind of took that at face value that oh yeah i must be because i'm depending i i always depended on my wife to you know take care of finances and stuff like that um and uh the other thing i remember she also said something about that yeah i mean you're 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 definitely codependent and i i would hazard to say that within a year you're going to be married again to somebody and i'm like oh okay really and and it turned out that I'm probably <laughs> and in learning about myself and everything, because I was in her, you know, I was in my marriage. I was, you know, this was uh, we were together for like 20, over 20 years. But um, but so, again, I was just kind of conditioned to believe these certain things. And it, I came to find out that I'm probably the furthest thing from being codependent. <laughs> like right now, the relationship I have right now is it's very, that's what I've. I love so much about it is we kind of have our own thing. We do our own thing. 
and then we, you know, we get together and we hang out and all that, but we're both very independent people. Yeah. And, but I, and, and the thing is when I, when I first realized that, you know, when I first had to, you know, take care of my own finances, I'm like, this is easy balancing a checkbook. It's like the <laughs> easiest thing there is. What was she complaining about? So, but, but yeah, but you, but it's, but it can be applied to anything, whether it's art or whatever. If you're conditioned, if you condition yourself to believe a certain thing, um, it's really hard to change that. But yeah. you may, you may realize that what you think is what you think you are, what you think you can accomplish is, is the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. I 100% second that. I want to just touch on one thing in the chats. Um, Anti Hakasari, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, said, uh, hey, guys, longtime lurker, first time commenting. Joshua, do you have an estimation of when quarterly stories will be finished? And uh, I'm estimating that the art will be done by May for the first book. Um, I can't estimate when the whole series will be done but the first book uh should be completed at least art wise by may that doesn't mean book design or anything like that so that'll be a, a much longer haul um anyhow um but yeah on on the on the note of um of this like to me i think um for myself something i consciously try to do is to i i enjoy being a skeptic um and I think the wrong approach for me from like the idea of these two modes of, of thinking would be to kind of like, uh, like buy into the secret and drop all rational thinking. Like that to me, I think is, uh, to me, I think that's a dangerous area. I've known a lot of people who really bought into like the idea of the secret and ended up very broke and, um, in a lot of, in a lot of pain from that, um, from the idea of the secret, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that's like this thing that was trendy <laughs> quite a few years ago where it was like, if you just think it and you just want it and you think about it all the time and the, you believe it, it's going to happen. The universe, you're really, the universe you're really curious about that. I was going to say, if you're really curious about that, I probably got a DVD of it that some girlfriend gave to me. And I was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is garbage. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, funny, funny story. I almost, didn't marry my wife because she was into the secret for a very short period of time. And that was such a huge turnoff to me because I think it's such a giant <laughs> pile of crap that I was like, I don't know. And then it was just, she hadn't looked into it enough. <laughs> the, only, the only thing I would say, and I don't think this has anything to do with the secret being effective, but I think if you do put, if you do put positive things out, you're probably going to get positive things back. Because I, I agree. That's, you know, yeah, but well, I don't think I that think has. Lot, I, I, I believe that. I believe lot. that, and that is in every major culture and religion. Yeah, they have this idea of karma, of the law of the harvest, of that type of that type of thing. I I do believe that that it's true that the type of thoughts that you have and the type of behaviors and speech that you choose to do and use have a massive effect in your surroundings and the way that, uh, you know, things kind of come back to you. Uh, I yeah. think the problem is when you take anything into an extreme situation, it removes other variables that are in effect. And so the secret 
is a problem because if you, and I agree with you completely, Josh, if you were to take this whole mindset thing and say, Oh, cool. All I have to do is think a specific way. And then I'm, and then I'm done. I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and whatever. Well, the problem is that work and effort, which is like part of this world, like being on this earth, there are specific physical rules. And some of those rules are that things that are worth something take time. That's just, something that seems to be within this realm. Uh, if yeah. you, if I just tomorrow say, great, I'm going to become a, I'm going to become a, a famous, you know, a children's book illustrator. Well, I'm not, I'm not there yet. And so my, my rent is, or my mortgage is going to come due. I'm going to need to buy groceries at some point in time. Like there are, there are literal physical realities that come into play. And so taking something like this to an extreme, um, and, and, and expecting immediacy rather than uh, than logically saying, oh, this is part of a process that will take time and, and is part of this journey that I'm on. It's super dangerous. So I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. Well, no. And so why I bring, bring that up is because like inherently I'm a skeptic and, and at heart, like I do have a real um, a, a real kind of um, I don't know. It's, it's actually a, a slightly negative viewpoint of of the world <laughs> and um and and this is something i'm kind of um aware of about myself but what's what's interesting is the older and the further i've i've gotten with art the more i've started really adopting um principles of like positivity and and by positivity i mean like kind of what what was being brought up like the idea of like putting in um like like being a nice person in general like be be nice to people and that gets you further and you shouldn't get be nice to people to get further but the weird thing is if you kind of relax in a social situation where everybody's stressed um it creates relaxation it's this weird thing of like like what you put out does kind of have an effect on a room and um and and going going one step further i think that there's some value to the ideas of the secret, not the whole thing, but some of it, like the idea of visualizing. And when you're visualizing, not limiting your vision, um, being a little ambitious with it. So like with my book, um, you know, if, if someone asks me what I think is going to happen with my book, I'll, I'll tell them the very real, very practical thing that's going to happen with it. I mean, for one thing, it's going to get finished. So I've visualized that far. Um, for another, it's going to get published, whether it's published by me or by someone else. Right. But beyond that, I I don't often share like the kind of vision I have for it, which goes far beyond anything I would share like publicly (laughs) because it's ridiculous. Like I really do plan to or, or visualize trying to take it very far, a lot further than I think is, is practical. And so I think that that's, I think that's important because I think <clears throat> part of what got me into illustration was like this blind ambition and kind of cockiness that <clears throat> is really hard to replicate. Like when you're fresh out of school and you're just getting your first paid gigs and the idea of even being paid to do art is like this exciting new thing. Um, you know, and, and prior to that, like working crappy jobs where somebody's like, Hey, you can draw, you draw something and you're excited about it. 
Whereas now at a job, if somebody asks me to draw something for fun, I'm like, are you kidding me? No, <laughs> like, no, I don't want to draw this thing for you. But, but at the time it was like, oh, cool. I'm getting paid by the hour and somebody's going to let me draw for 20 minutes. Cool. You know? Yeah. Um, there's something to be said for like this weird kind of cocky, naive over ambition that would make you kind of approach <clears throat> um, clients you have no business approaching um, or shoot for things that are, are much further than you probably should be shooting for. And yet for some reason, a lot of that stuff really, you know, a lot of that stuff led to major failures early on, but for some reason that blind kind of <clears throat> cockiness and kind of stubbornness and insistence on getting in um, allowed me to get in this thing of like making this my living. Yeah. And, um, and I think you need that. Like, I, I think I, I, um, I just listened to a, um, a podcast uh, interview with like Conan O'Brien, who's been doing a lot of interviews lately because he's doing a podcast too, which is good. You guys should check it out. But he was talking about how, um, and it ties in exactly with this conversation where he was saying like, you can't really teach people to be funny. So it's like, there is this thing where like somebody, like there are some people who are born with like no sense of humor and like literally could not be comedians. Like they could study it, they could learn everything about it, and yet they, they just wouldn't be able to be comedians. But he was like saying that on, on top of that, like there's a mass amount of work. And so he was actually kind of, anyhow, he was saying it in, in um, kind of opposition to this idea that everybody who goes into comedy was the class clown. And he was saying, no, class clowns end up being the guy who like holds up a liquor store, you know, like, like <laughs> the class clown is not always the guy who ends up being a professional comedian. You know, he's like professional comedians are kind of weird individual people who like really sit down and do the hard work of like crafting really good comedy. Right. And a lot of that's just work. And, um, and so, and, and I think like, if you look at, I think actually Conan O'Brien's a really good example of that because it's like, if you look at that guy's career, he worked his butt off. Like there's, I don't think anyone could go up to that guy and be like, you're really lucky that you're funny, you know? Right. Cause it's like, this is a guy who like literally hustled and worked and like spends every free minute doing comedy, even now when he doesn't have to. Yeah. And, um, I think, I think, I think that the thing to take away from this is just, you know, wh when, when, whenever you catch yourself with, with a moment of saying, I can't ask yourself, is this like, um, you know, you know, like a, a good question to ask is like, look at somebody like Chuck Close who ended up in a massive car accident and figured out a way to paint, even though he couldn't use his hands, you yeah. know? Um, like look at all these people like Christopher Reeves, right. Who like, was told he couldn't walk and, and figured out a way to walk. So a good question walk, to ask right? yourself is like, are you saying you can't because you're, you're, you're throwing in the towel and this is it? Or are you saying you can't because you, you like literally can't like, for instance, maybe you're blind and you can't see and you're like, well, you literally can't see. Right. You know, but then again, like, what are you saying you can't do? Are you saying you can't see or are you saying you can't learn to read Braille? You and, know, and, and I have, I have an example on the flip side. So you said something that I think is really interesting that there's some value in 
setting these uh, what what in the business world are called BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, right? They're they're so big that they're almost unachievable, um, but you work as hard as you possibly can to get there. On the on the other end of that, I have spent a significant portion of my adult life um, setting very manageable and achievable goals um, to my detriment. I think I have done that because of my fear of failure. I think when I when I hear myself saying things like, "I'm not doing this for you know, you know, I I, I don't necessarily think that this book is going to be wildly successful." What I'm actually doing is I'm trying to mitigate the risk. I'm trying to I'm trying to take the the vulnerability out of that situation so that I can't get hurt. Um, and what I end up doing when I do that is I make the achievable goal so easy and such low hanging fruit that when I achieve it, it's like well, it's kind of just a given, right? And so actually, in the last three to five years, I've I've really made an effort to stop doing that. And I've really seen my life kind of take off to where uh, I've stopped saying, you know, I'm going to I'm going to set my goals at the jobs that I can get, the clients that I can get, the things that I'm able to produce. And now I'm just like, you know, I don't know how to do that thing, but I'm confident that I can figure it out given enough time and effort. And so I'm going to jump in and do it, you know, and that has drastically changed my life. Um, and I'm still working on it. I still, it's still a battle in my mind t- between these, these, these big, crazy, outlandish goals that if you never reach that crazy, outlandish goal, you're still going to get light years ahead of where you would if you set an achievable goal. If, you just, if you're just yeah. like, yeah, there's, I can obviously get that. It's short-sighted. It's easy. I can achieve that and then I can feel good about myself. But if you're like... There's this crazy thing that if I shoot for this insanely golden ring and miss it, you're still way better off than the easy, low-hanging fruit. So this is like a weird thing that I've had for a while with with art and then I've lost touch with at different points in my life and I've regained again. Um, But it's like this thing – I remember when I was – an undergrad in school, I was one of the first people to start making a living as an illustrator in my class. And I had a lot of classmates who would just be like talking to me as if I was like the weirdest, most amazing person because I had gotten a paid job doing art. Right. And, um, and I, I remember like, even when I was applying for the Zarek and this was around the same time. So I was like starting to get paid work. And I was shooting for this grant and I was like fairly confident that I was going to get it, which was really weird. Um, and I remember talking to this person at the time um, who was just kind of confused about my personality. And I was trying to explain because I had just achieved a big goal and I wasn't really satisfied. And they were like, yeah. well, why not? I mean, like you aimed to get this thing done. And I was like, you don't understand. Like to me, that's a rung in a ladder. And there's a massive gap between that rung being achieved and that ladder being climbed. Like, and, and literally when I get to the top of that, there will be another, you know, like that's just kind of my personality. And so, you know, a perfect example of like, like where I'd like to be, like what I'm going to, like, I, I should probably verbalize this stuff more, 
But with quarterly stories, like my goal is, you know, even if I don't get like a big publisher with it, I'm going to submit it for for the Eisners. I'm going to yeah. submit it for the Harvey. I'm going to submit it to Best American Comics. Um, I'm going to try to get in those things. And, I, and I'm visualizing that it might actually happen. Sure. Now, am I going to use like some secret mentality to it? No. And part of why I hold those cards to my chest is like, I, I don't know if realistically those things are going to happen, but those are all part of kind of where I'd like to go with it. Yeah, um, I, I think know. I think being satisfied is the death of progress. I think as soon as yeah. as, as soon as you're like, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy with where I'm at right now, and I'm not talking about being happy with your life or feeling happiness. I'm talking about saying I've achieved what I want to achieve, and I'm satisfied with where I am. That's where you plateau and you don't get any better. Yeah, and I, I think that to me, just professionally, um, professional satisfaction and personal satisfaction are like two different things. You know, right. like for me, if you get to that point, um, I hope it's because it was like this crazy success that's untoppable. Yeah, you know, but to me, it's like I haven't seen that, and and and, um. I, I don't want to lose sight of that big goal, which is like, you know, it, it's a silly goal, but it's like, it's been a goal since I've done comics, you know, to like make something that makes an impact. And, um, you know, that's not like my objective. My, my overall objective is just make a good story that hopefully people enjoy. But when I'm doing this, I do have to keep that long vision and be like, Am I making the best possible thing I can make so that when it comes time to like do these things like convention it so that I'm like basically at conventions, like hopefully building a little groundswell for this like book and trying to get people to buy something that they other otherwise may not buy. And it's, it's not even fun to talk about with people half the time. Cause it's like a weird, you know, tough, difficult subject matter. Um, if I'm going to invest time into that, I got to keep that long-term goal. Cause if I'm not getting closer to those longer term goals, then what the hell am I doing? Yeah. You know? And, and to me, like, that's the thing is like, you know, one rung of the ladder is like in May finishing this book, but that's just a rung. Like, and I, I think that for a lot of people, that's the ladder. And I think, um, I think that's a shame because I think the, the ladder should be taller than that. It should be like, when my book's done, what do I do with my book? What, it, what, it, you know, um, is this, am I going to be making the book that I should be making? Like, am I making the art that I should be making? So, um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of some thoughts on it, but it's like, I think that it's helpful to, you need those rungs on a ladder to get to the top of the ladder, because at the end of the day, if you try to just jump over the rungs, like you, you might have a failure you can't get back from, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's so you need those little signposts along the way. Um, but it's like I'd, I'd hate to see everybody sign up for a marathon and then quit when they're like a halfway through and be like, I did a half marathon. Right. You know? That's that's just, that's just kind of a bummer. I, I don't I, know if that makes sense. It, it does. I, and it, it got me thinking of this. And, and I'm thinking of Scott specifically when I think of this. I've been trying to formulate this concept in my mind for. Uh, for a couple weeks, and, and so I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but I, I've seen kind of two types of people when it comes to 
um, obstacles. Um, and, and it's kind of this idea that I've been talking about on my channel a little bit where it's, it's initiative and in the face of ambiguity, right? Where there's not a clear path, there's not a, you know, whatever. What do you, what do you do in that situation? Um, and, and I've seen, I've seen people do this. There, there's, there's a very clear path to start most things. It's really easy to be a beginner if you're willing to look foolish and, and fail often. There's, you know, you start like, I don't know. What am I going to do? Well, I need to figure out the tools. I need to figure out some of the mechanics. That that part's really easy. After you get past that part, it becomes really ambiguous. What do you do with this? Right? And uh, many people get to the ambiguity of that situation and they freeze because there's no clear path. Um, but what you actually need to do is when you climb that staircase um, and you get to the top of that staircase, you need to look around you and you need to build your own staircase and yeah. you're going to build it wrong. But even in building it wrong, it's going to get you a little bit higher and then you're going to learn some stuff and the next few steps that you build are going to be a little bit better, um, but maybe in the wrong direction, uh, but you're still going to be slightly higher. And then the people that are able to, instead of just standing on top of the already built staircase, use the materials around them and break down the things that they built wrong and use that material to build it right or make it better. And they're just continually building this thing as they, as they go higher and higher and higher. Those types of people will always be successful by, by almost any measure of success because they just don't stop. There's just failure by that definition is just when you stop building out of that ambiguity. And, and one of the interesting things I've seen with Scott, especially recently, and, I, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Scott, is uh, there's a very clear path. You had a day job. You had some side hustles going on. Um, you know, the day job isn't there anymore. You, you, reach the, you reach the top of that kind of built ladder. And instead of, instead of going, oh, woe is me. Uh, this is terrible. This is so hard. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you wring your hands. It was like you didn't even break a stride and uh, you just started building things around you and you just started like, okay, I'm going to build up my email list and I'm going to, I'm going to make this big comic starter pack and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. It was like, it was like you didn't lose any momentum. You were climbing those, climbing those, those steps, just step, 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 step. That staircase ended. You didn't stop stepping. You just kept building and building and building. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Scott, is that something that came naturally to you was that a decision that you made was there a point in time where you had to maintain a certain level of uh monitoring of your self-talk or, or how did you maintain that momentum in in that in that transition period to where you're just you're just building your own staircase in the face of this this new ambiguity this kind of curveball that got thrown yeah i don't know i mean i because i was always I mean, these are things I was always in the process of building, you know, whether it's starter kit or the mailing list and all this stuff. And then, you know, when I got laid off, it's like the, my problem before was I didn't have time. You know, Now I've got time. So why not jump into it? You know, and in the meantime, you know, if I see if I see a like a, a full-time job that looks like it might be decent, I'll send something out. I'm doing some freelance here or there. Um, but it's, it doesn't make any sense just to, just to dwell on that situation. I mm -hmm. mean, just 
you got to kind of move forward. And I'm the, I mean, I'm not in, in dire straits now. I mean, if, if this continues to go and things aren't, you know, moving that I'm, I may be and things may change. I might get a little desperate, but right now, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, just kind of do what I can. But the main thing I want to focus on is all the things that I didn't have really have the time for. So, um, that's part of it. And I mean, if I, you know, I, I, this is where, you know, this is kind of where I wanted to be, but I, I wanted to be further along, you know, before I would be at a point where I could quit the day job, then that kind of, you know, that guy, that decision was kind of made for, for me. Now I'm still probably not at where I need to be, um, to kind of, and I can live pretty spartanly, but, um, but there's, you know, there's other circumstances that, you know, I got kids and stuff like that. If it was just me, uh, that wouldn't be a problem. I would just probably continue to go the direction I am that plus, you know, insurance, you know, that's part of, that's one of the benefits to having a full-time job is the insurance. And, and that's, you know, that's pricey too. So, I mean, if those two things are the, the biggest thing that uh, I think would hold me back, but if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for that, then I would just kind of, um, I, I would just continue to keep going down this road without any hesitation. But so, but you know, right now I'm just, this is, you know, Again, it's like I've got I've got the time to work on this, so this is all the stuff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get further along, and if it ends up where I have to take a, another full time job or whatever, I'm gonna be further along on on what I really want to do. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Does that does that answer your question? Or yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think um, I think like to you know we mention this book all the time, but like one of the best things that that book by Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art really the best analogies that I think should always be on the mind of creators is the fact that this thing is a war. Like to make a living being a creative is a fight. And it's a fight that unfortunately, you know, is probably going to happen until we're dead, you know, like all of us. And, and part of that means like work that's flowing is going to change. Industries are going to change. Uh, you know, trends are going to change. Um, you know, we're on YouTube right now. Maybe this platform will disappear. Um, you know, and and one of the things that's beautiful when you keep at it and you keep fighting this thing is is you end up being a little bit like a veteran in a ring. Maybe, meaning like, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of people, maybe like cocky kids who are like, probably imagine themselves to be really good boxers and they train in the gym and they do all the work and it's all good because they have this vision of just killing it in the ring. Um, there, there's a really slight few who, after getting knocked out, go back. Right. Um, and I've known people who've like gone into, like literally gone into boxing, you know, like amateur boxing. And they're like, this is really fun. And they won a few bouts and they loved it. And then they got beat the crap out of, and they were like, this is not something I ever want to do again. Um, it's nothing I'd want to do, but my point being like, this is, this is the ring that we're in. <laughs> like, yeah. this is our little, our little sparring area. And it's, and it's one of those things of like, man, you know, like, um, comics will break your heart. I, I swear to it. It's already broken mine. I mean, I had a publishing deal that just dropped and it, it literally broke my heart. Um, I spent four years on a book that I finished and the publisher dropped it the day I finished it. 
And it's like, like, so the guy was giving me editorial feedback and stuff. So I had this vision of this book on bookshelves because they had distribution. So I was like, this is going to be in Barnes and Noble. This is going to be here. And I was, I wasn't foolish for thinking it because I had a publisher. Right. I had a contract. And, um, so like that kind of thing is going to happen all the time throughout your whole art career, just these opportunities that come up and then maybe disappoint you and go away. And really the weird thing is the more of those you compile, it's like you develop this kind of ability to like, like do like, I, I don't know if I've developed it as well as Scott has, but to, to basically, you know, you, you, you start seeing fires as opportunities because like the thing is, um, there's two ways you can go about it. You can either like basically stop and freak out or you can look at your options and like look at the opportunities that have presented themselves. Like, like Scott was just mentioning, like he has these projects that were started that were just being stagnated by the work day. So the second that's gone, like, why not? Why not get them out? Yeah. Why not kind of like, use that time to kind of like maximize every possibility because it's a war. So it's like, Hey, we lost that ground, but there's an opening here. Like you have to kind of like, I, at least I think like I, I have to always be looking for like new plots of land (laughs) that I can take, um, in this little war, because if I'm not gaining ground, then I'm losing ground or I'm stagnant, which is like death in a war. So, so that's I, to me. It's like I, th- I think if um, I, th- I think that's the main reason to kind of have that mindset, tying it back to the mindset thing, where it's like you know if you're in a growth mindset, you're always progressing, you know, um, and failure is not like the biggest setback in the world. It's part of the process, you know. Uh, like one of my favorite kids' book illustrators in in the NCS, like was like a Disney guy and woke up one day and he was really successful at it and woke up one day and was like, I hate working for Disney. And so he became a really well-known kids book illustrator, just dropped everything. Um, and you know, like you're not going to meet a creative who didn't take a risk and didn't have a failure, you know? And if you do, chances are like, you'll, you'll see what they're made of when you see them face failure, you know? Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. To me, it's, um, it's fascinating. It keeps it interesting. It keeps it, keeps us growing as creator creatives. And I like, once again, it's a war. So like for me, half of it's just keeping my mindset right. You know, where it's like, like, um, like kind of seeing what I can kind of move forward, how I can get closer to whatever the crazy thing is I want to do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think uh, I think we should call it. We've we've been going yeah. for for over an hour. The chat's been awesome. Uh, appreciate appreciate uh, all the new people in the chat and all our our tried and true army that that, that show up frequently. If you haven't already, um, subscribe and hit that bell on my channel. Uh, jump onto Josh's channel and do that as well. And uh, Scott, where can we find your work? Yeah, you can find me at uh, cirqueworks.com. And if you go there, uh, get the uh, Comic Maker Starter Kit. It's free. You just join the mailing list. And the mailing list has a lot of value, too. Like, there's exclusive video content. I just sent out the first newsletter today. And there was uh, 
there's an exclusive video that that only people on the mailing list are going to get. There's there's like little tips and art hacks, and then then there's like discounts and stuff for my store and everything. So it's uh, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, that's awesome. And Josh, where can we find your stuff? Oh, uh, you can go to quarterlystories.com or right now I'm really trying to get to a certain subscriber count on Tapas and I'm close. So you guys can help that happen. So go to tapas.io and uh, look for quarterly stories and add it to your library there. It does a huge amount of help in kind of growing uh, and getting me closer to kind of that crazy, the first rung on that ladder of where where I'm hoping to take this thing. So, yeah, that's great. I wish I could subscribe twice, but <laughs> and you can find my stuff at coreycur.com. Um, I will be launching uh, a 20 day project here where I'm going to go through the process of animation. And so, you're on my channel right now if you're watching this on YouTube. And uh, go to coreycur.com/slash videos, and you can see my you can see my YouTube channel there. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, I also have a podcast that I've released uh, for Illo Talk. And, uh, and this podcast is available at coreycurcom slash 48HR. Um, and if you guys take a moment and leave us a five-star review on that podcast, even if you're watching this video live now um, or if you're listening to it later in the audio version of this, um, that is super, super helpful, and, and we really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for joining us in the chat. We will, we will go live again on uh, Wednesday. We go Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9 p.m. California time. Alternate between Josh's channel and my channel. If you subscribe to both of those, you'll get notifications. And uh, thanks, everybody, and we will see you guys in 48 hours.